This morning, we are right in the middle of John's uh, gospel. We've been in this series for some time now. And um, we turn our Bibles this morning to John's gospel. We're going to read chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 12 to 36. 12 to 36. And it'll feel a little bit like Palm Sunday. We're going to take you back to that day when Jesus had his triumphal entry and people were waving palms in the streets as he walked into Jerusalem uh, on his uh, donkey. But before we begin, let me just pray for us and uh, ask that God would reveal to us what he would have for our lives today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we, we know like any relationship with love, we, uh, we know it takes work. God, that if we're to know what you want for our lives, we're to open up your word. If we're to walk with you, that means maybe slowing the pace down and spending time in prayer. God, relationships take priorities, and so we, we confess there's so often we get our priorities misplaced, and um, Lord, you get kind of pushed to the side. And So God, I just want to ask right now in this moment that we would all collectively together uh, fix our eyes back on you. Lord, how the creator of all the universe has given us a word that we could live by is unfathomable. So Lord, we pray as we read this word that you would truly make it that double-edged sword, God, that you would pierce us, change us, make us, mold us into the likeness of your son. God, we pray that it would begin here and the ripple effect would just continue through our valley, through our state, through our nation. God, we want the world to know about you. But God, we know that in order for that to happen, others have to see you in us. So Lord, we ask as we open up your word, make us mirrors that reflect your light, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So John's gospel, chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Let's hear now God's word. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming and sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they then remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was with Bethsaida and Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. So Father, glorify your name. 
Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of a death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. While you walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And thank the good Lord for that. Today I want to talk about what it is to die to Christ, or to die to self and live to Christ. What does it mean to die to yourself and live to Christ? Back in November of 1982, a man named Shin Dong Young was born in an internment camp in what was known as the Total Control Zone of North Korea. It was this place of starvation and torture, hard labor, and even execution. But as far as Shin could tell, this was his life. He assumed that from the early ages, you were either born prisoner or guard, and depending on which side the coin landed, that was your fate. In his biography, Shin explained how for a time he actually believed the entire world was this camp. He had no idea anything existed outside of it. For 23 years, from sunup to sundown, Shin was a prisoner, born of prisoners. Well, one day all that changed. Shin met a 40-year-old uh, man named Park who was a political captive from Pyongyang. And as they got to know each other, Park began to open up to Shin about all of his stories See, Park was in politics. He had traveled the world. He told him about his trips to China and to Germany. And story after story, he began to teach Shin what freedom looked like on the other side. He told Shin, he said, you can have broiled chicken whenever you want. Shin had never tasted chicken before. So for him, this idea soon became the, the concept of freedom. If we could just get over that electric fence, I could eat chicken the rest of my life. So on January 2nd, 2005, Parks and Shin decided it was time to run for freedom. In the cover of darkness, Parks uh, sprinted up ahead uh, from Shin to the fence, but on the way up, he miscalculated. And as he gripped the fence, he was electrocuted to death. Well, Shin was just directly steps behind him with nowhere to go but forward. And so Parks' lifeless body literally became an insulator for Shin to get up and over the fence. Shin said, his death, brought me life. Today, Shin lives in California, and though his story is somewhat controversial, he became one of the most well-known advocates for human rights in our world. What does it mean to die to self and live to Christ? See, in our lesson, it's now the Passover festival. Remember, we've talked about this a few times in this series. That's the celebration that marked the exodus of God's people in Egypt. They were locked in their own labor camps for years under the, the evil Pharaoh. And still to this day, that Passover, that festival marks freedom. It commemorates the moment that this, this plague had come across all the firstborn children of Egypt. But by the blood of the lamb, the death of an animal wiped across doorposts, Israel was spared. And much like Park's sacrifice, the death of that lamb literally gave life to God's people. They were free. 
And it's during the festival that commemorates that story that Jesus now makes this famous entry called Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. The crowds are shouting, the, the dust is stirring, and somewhere in this parade, John tells us there were foreign Greeks among the Jewish worshipers, and they were amazed at what they saw. Look at this in verse 21. They come find Philip and they ask him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Some of the most powerful words ever spoken. Those words should get you fired up. Just that question of, I want to see the Lord. Here's this crowd of misfits, right? And all they want to do is see Christ. So Philip goes to tell Andrew. Andrew brings Philip to Jesus. And random trivia, this is now the third time Andrew has brought somebody to the Lord in this, this gospel. And you would think that Jesus right here, he would go meet these crowds where they were at. You would think that he would go and introduce himself to these people. But look at Jesus' response. Look at this in verse 23. Jesus answered them, the hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Remember at the beginning of our series, um, Jesus is at a wedding feast and his mother asks him to turn water into wine and he tells her, my hour has not yet come. But now 12 chapters later, his hour is here. It's almost as if this request of these Greeks sparked the hour. Remember, Jesus said, I came first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In other words, the whole world. And now that the Jews and the Gentiles are asking to see Jesus, it's time. But what in the world does that have to do? What in the world does Jesus' death have to do with a crowd asking to see him? Look at how Jesus responds to this in verse 24. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You know, when it comes to the garden, when it comes to agriculture, we know all about how death brings new life. Last year's compost is used from the, the dead plants to bring new life to the garden. We, we cut the rose bush at the stem because from that cut comes new flowers. White rotten fungi makes mushrooms. And Jesus says, a grain of wheat left on the stalk is worth nothing. But if it falls into the ground and it dies, an abundance appears. And Jesus says, if you truly want to see who I am, two things have to happen. One, first, like that seed, I now have to die for the sins of the world. The hour has arrived for me to go into the ground like that seed, and I'll be raised to new life, and then you'll see my glory. But second, second, if you truly want to see me, you have to die in this life too. Look at this in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. Now, right here's where we got to call a timeout because things just got complicated. Sir, we wish to see Jesus, said the nice Greek people. To which Christ responds, if you truly want to see me, first I have to die. And then, oh, by the way, you have to hate your life too. You know, I don't know about you, but if I was in that crowd in that moment, that would be a deal killer for me. You know, uh, who knows if Andrew and Philip ever gave the message back to the crowds, but this is drastic, right? I'm supposed to hate my life and you're supposed to die and you want me to follow you? The Greek word that Jesus uses here for hate is meseo. You can't argue it away. In just about every context in the scriptures, this Greek word means to dislike something so much that you have an aversion to it when you see it. It's not exactly a popular recruitment campaign, is it? If you love your life, you'll lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. Vincent Coleman was a 45-year-old train dispatcher for the Canadian Railway up in Nova Scotia. 
And Vincent's rail station was located at the harbor just a few hundred feet from one of the busiest piers in the country. On December 17, 1917, Coleman was drinking his coffee like any other morning when an armory ship collided with another Norwegian vessel just outside off the pier in the water. And without warning, they both caught fire. Now, Coleman knew enough about the area to know that this armory ship was loaded with munitions and that meant an explosion was coming very soon. So Coleman and his colleagues sprinted out the door, but about mid-step out the door, he realized he was in a dilemma because he knew there was a train carrying 300 some odd people who within minutes would be scheduled to the rail yard at that exact pier. And he knew that if he didn't warn them, their death was inevitable. So as his colleagues ran for his life, Coleman made the only choice he could. He went back into the post to send a telegraph to the conductor and look at what he said. Hold up the train. Ammunition ship a fire in harbor making for Pier 6 and will explode. This will be my last message. Goodbye, boys. Seconds later, Coleman gave his life for that telegraph. What does it mean to die to self and live for Christ? Jesus said, unless a grain falls to the ground and is buried, unless it dies, left to itself, it will bear no fruit. Whoever hates his life stands much to gain. Whoever loves them's life will lose it. You know, one of the things that I love about walking through this gospel one verse at a time is that we pick up themes that we might not have ever picked up before. Remember, it was just last week that Lazarus was dining at the table with Christ. That was the man who died and like a kernel of wheat went into the ground and Jesus raised him to life. And now for chapters, we see an abundance of fruit from that moment. In fact, just this morning, all over town, we're told there were witnessing, witnesses telling people of what they had seen and heard on that day. But what separates Jesus from all other faiths is not that sign. It's not what he did to Lazarus. It's not the miracles that he performed. What separates Jesus from all other faiths is what he did in his death. Everything Jesus did on this planet pointed to that moment. And to be sure, this was no easy mission. Jesus wrestled with this. He, he said things like this, my soul is troubled. What am I supposed to do? Ask the father to stop this? But then comes the hard part. He wants us to wrestle too. He tells Andrew and Philip, by the way, um, I need you to come with me in this. I need you to take up your cross. If you love your life, you're gonna lose it. I need you to hate it and come with me. Hate's a strong word, right? As I said, it should cause our heads to, to tilt a little bit. Why would Jesus use this word? Certainly he didn't intend for us to hate this life that he's given us. So what did he mean? You know, whenever you come to a place in scripture where you wrestle with a question like this, what's really neat about God's word is that you can time and time again find another scripture that interprets what you're reading. Look at this in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I think it paints a perfect picture of where we're going. Do not love the world or the things in this world. You see it so far? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And what happens? The world is passing away. You'll lose it along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, when Jesus says we're called to hate this life, it's almost as though he's using this hyperbole to help us put things into perspective. 
If you take the greatest moment of your life, the, the most blessed day, the, the most joyful thing that you've ever done, maybe the most prized possession you've ever owned, and you hold it up next to Jesus Christ, it's worthless. Paul says scubala, Greek word for rubbish. Back in North Korea, if Park would have just stayed in camp, if he would have just loved his life to, to, to keep to himself and never grab that fence for the love of his friend, he'd still be alive. But he'd have been clinging to something that was the wrong thing. Shin would have never tasted freedom. And back in that rail yard, Coleman standing at that pier, if he would have just ran to his car and left the building for the love of his own life, he'd have lived to live, work another day. But think of all the lives he saved. Thousands, generations after generations spared. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Because where I am, there my servant must be also. And then he goes to the cross. Let me just get super practical for a minute because I know I've just been hanging up in the clouds, so let's land the plane. I think the question of this scripture is this. It's really simple. What needs to die in your life so that you can live for Christ? Just take that image of wheat grain for a minute. What needs to fall to the ground and get buried in your life so that you might see him more clearly? We all have something. That was the request, right? We want to see Jesus. Christ said, if you want to see me in glory, it begins with my death and then it continues with yours. But if your life is anything like mine, like this is a tough task, right? I love my life. I, I love the mountains. I, I love Bozeman. I love skiing. I love fishing. I love hiking. I love my, my wife. I love my girls. I love the comfort of my own home. I love the leisure that I live. And while I think God calls us to love all that too, I think what the scripture is saying is, it's all good unless you love it more than me. And just the idea of dying to self, of, of being willing to love Christ so much that this life now takes a second seat, that's a hard concept to live into. But Jesus said, as long as you cling to the things of this world, you'll lose all of it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. You know, anytime that we read the word and we see those words, truly, truly, amen, amen, that's Jesus' way of saying, pay attention, this part's really important. If you cling to this world, the more you will stand to lose, but the more that you cling to me, the more you will gain in eternity. Look at this in Matthew 10, 38. Christ says, whoever refuses to take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So what things in your life need, need to let go and fall to the ground so that we might follow Jesus more faithfully? Just to get us thinking, I thought we'd walk through the, the deadly sins for a minute. Just think through this. What needs to drop? Is it lust? Is it gluttony? Is it greed or laziness? Or anger or, or envy? Pride? Galatians 2.20 says it like this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live but Christ who lives in me. See, but it's not just the obvious things in our flesh that we need to watch out for and be crucified with Jesus in. It's the subtle things. It's the idols. It's the distractions. It's the diversion. It's the, the calendar, the lack of margin. It's, it's this life getting in the way of eternal life. Romans 6, 4, Paul says, we were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in that newness. So the goal is, it's no longer me that's living. It's Christ living in me 
See, Jesus said to this Greek crowd, he said, I love you this much. I'm not gonna go see you. Because even though this is hard, and even though my soul is troubled, even though what I wanna do is ask the Father to save me from this hour, the only way you're gonna get this, and the only way you're gonna find salvation is if I die, my hour has come. But then Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, where I am, you need to be too. Reminds me of a story of a six-year-old boy who won his gymnastics meet. And in the midst of all the celebrations, they pinned this blue ribbon on him. He was standing up on the steps somewhat like this. And he looked down and he saw one of his best friends, this little girl, just weeping with these innocent tears and a smile on her face. And after all the celebrations had taken place, he walked over to this girl and he wiped her tears away. He said, what's the matter? She said, I just wanted a ribbon. I just wanted to win. He said, you can have mine. So he took the ribbon off of his shirt, handed it into the girl's hands, when he got back into the car, his mom was confused by this. She said, why, why would you give this girl your ribbon? You won first place. Aren't you gonna miss that ribbon? Didn't you want it somewhere in your, in your room? The little boy thought about it for a moment. He said, mom, I know I got first place. I don't need a ribbon to prove it. And I feel like that's our walk with Christ, right? We've already been given the greatest gift that the world could ever have. The fact that Jesus would go to the cross, that's all that we need. The fact that he would die for us such that we would find life in him, that's more than enough. Which means the things of this life are nothing compared to knowing him. The more we die to ourselves, the more that Christ lives in us. The more that we die to our unhealthy patterns and our own wants and even our own opinions, our own grudges, our stubbornness, the more Christ will live in us. I don't know enough about farming to be the expert in this analogy that Jesus offers Except to say this, once the grain falls into the ground, once you bury it and it dies, God is now doing the work. God brings the water. God brings the germination. In his time, God brings the sprout and the new life. God provides the, the abundance. So here's the takeaway, I think, for us this week. If we truly wanna follow Jesus, it looks like us dying to ourselves such that he will move and live in our life through that death. So much that it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So I'll ask one more time at the risk of going from preaching to meddling. What is it in your life that needs to die so that you might more faithfully follow him? Pray with me, will you? Lord, when that hour had come, it's just hard for us to even wrap our minds around what you did for us. Lord, that even when the distractions of this life were playing out, you, you knew it was time and you went to the cross in glory. So God, we just pray this week, would you keep our eyes there? Lord, would you help us to, to think about those things right now that we need to let go of, that need to die, that need to be, be crucified? Lord, such that it would be less of us living in this life and more of you. God, and we pray that as you do that good work in us, that, that we would also leave this place and go out these doors and that others would see you in us. That they would not just see me or my selfish motives or my pride, but that they would see you. God, humble us, we pray that you would be lifted up. Help us to look for you this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.